Hello, readers. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this is a bookin brought to you by Explore Booksellers, Aspen, Colorado's trusted community bookstore. Wherever you are in the world, it is always good to explore. My guest today is best-selling author Nathan Hill. His previous novel, The Knicks, was named the number one book of 2016 by Entertainment Weekly and one of the year's best books by The New York Times, The Washington Post, NPR, Slate, and many others. It was also the winner of the Art Seidenbaum Award for First Fiction from the LA Times. His new book is Wellness, which is published by our friends at Alfred A. Knopf. Nathan, welcome to the program. Uh, It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. It's an honor to have you here, Nathan. And uh, before we jump into your new novel, I want to ask you, how is Florida? What's it like living down there right now? Uh, well, thanks for asking. Yeah, we, we, um, we I, I don't know if you're asking about the weather or the politics, but I'll start with the weather. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> we, had a, we had a pretty bad hurricane come by uh, uh, about a year ago. Hurricane Ian uh, hit us pretty square. Uh, so um naples is uh it, it was uh was was flooded uh, quite a quite a quite quite badly uh, a friend of mine who's a who's a, a musician in the orchestra down there had to flee to her roof with her violin uh uh to get out of the way of the floodwater so it was pretty scary um but uh fort myers beach got hit pretty bad and uh and and uh, it's it's still it's it's not back even like a year later. So it's uh, you know it's 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 you know it seems like um, every every hurricane season something really 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 terrible happens and the terrible things keep getting worse. So um, yeah, so Florida is uh, <laughs> on the plus side. It's really lovely there in the winter. So <laughs> you know yeah, sure. it's um, yeah it's a tricky place to live. Yeah, absolutely. I think it. Uh... It says a lot about the the state of the world that you don't know if I'm asking about hurricanes or politics, but this is where yeah yeah. Which storm are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> whichever one you want to talk about, Nathan. But, um, yeah, no, you know, speaking of, of things getting worse, I'm familiar with hurricanes. I, I used to manage a large bookstore in Raleigh, North Carolina, but um, mm-hmm. you know, even here in Aspen, this summer we had weeks of 95 plus degree weather, which is unheard of here. I mean, it's just it's it's a yeah yeah Um, i was i was i was in denver in july and i think it was a hundred and i think my car said it was 110 degrees it was oh my goodness yeah oh my goodness indeed well thank you nathan uh let's now jump into wellness um this will definitely be in contention for one of my best books of the year as the knicks was uh in 2016 um but first nathan could you take a moment to set this novel up for our listeners well, sure. And thanks for the kind words about the, the Knicks, too. I'm so happy you enjoyed that one. Uh, yeah, Wellness uh, tells the story of uh, Jack and Elizabeth, uh, who are two young dreamers who flee their dysfunctional families uh, and meet each other in Chicago's underground music scene in the early 90s. And they instantly fall in love. It's like a, a Romeo and Juliet sort of thunderbolt, love at first sight kind of story. Um, and then the book fast forwards uh, about 20 years and they're they're older. Um, they've been married for a long time. They have a child um, and they're feeling a little lonely and uh, very overwhelmed. And they they kind of look back at those hopeless romantics they used to be. And it's it, it's a little troubling. They're like, how could those people also be us? Uh, and uh, and so 
they sort of go about um, kind of uh, excavating their pasts and 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 uh, the book sort of excavates their lives to try to get a picture of how it is they they got to where they are and then there's of course lots of hijinks along the way as they try to recover what they feel like they've lost and I, I have a feeling we'll be talking about some of those hijinks <laughs> yeah absolutely uh thank you so much and Nathan I know that the Knicks was partially uh somewhat autobiographical um is this also the case for wellness as part of this kind of based on your own life well it's there's a lot of stuff in here that is uh you know that that is definitely part of how i i grew up like i grew up in the in the midwest in the you know in the kind of suburban and rural midwest and i always sort of had an affinity for you know for art and literature and museums and and it just wasn't really part of my childhood um and you know and it wasn't until i moved to you know the big city that that i uh, that i i got to have access to that and 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 that's the same as jack he grew up in the the flint hills of kansas um, which is a very rural but very beautiful part of the country, um, and uh, and he goes to Chicago to become an artist, and so that 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 feeling of sort of being out of your element, you know, like I remember one of the first times I went to an art history class, and I was just blown away by art that everybody else was already bored with, you know, <laughs> like I felt very behind, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and Jack kind of feels the same way. So and and then Elizabeth sort of represents the the person I wished I could have been in some ways way back then, way back when I was like an insecure like 18 year old um she comes from you know uh privilege she has uh she's an intellectual um she grew up going to all the foreign countries and all the museums uh but she's escaping her her life for for different reasons and um so yeah and and i think in their personalities like especially in their relationship in their marriage they they represent different versions of of me like jack is sort of me when i'm feeling Oh, what's the word when I'm feeling insecure, you know, and I get a little maybe clingy. Uh, and Elizabeth is is me when I'm feeling a little overwhelmed and I need some alone time, you know. And I, I gave those those pieces of myself to the two characters because I, I thought that dynamic would be kind of interesting for them to play off of. So yeah, and and anytime anytime I'm writing a scene, I'm I'm kind of searching my own head and my own experience for uh, things to put in that scene. And usually I'll take something that really happened and then dramatize it and really blow it up and make it kind of you know very dissimilar from my actual experience like in in wellness there's a scene uh where jack has his tonsils uh taken out uh and uh right before that he has a spinal tap Mm -hmm. and i i did have my tonsils taken out and i did have a spinal tap right before that happened because of a series of uh, misadventures but the (laughs) but the way i describe it in the book is way worse than it than it than it was in real life and i had to tell my mom that before she read that chapter i was like this is gonna make you cry i'm sorry this is not my memory of it but i'm using this for my own life and then really dramatizing it so it's every scene every every character is a kind of tornado of like real things dramatized things completely fake things you know um and so on just for dramatic effect yeah absolutely that was nice of you to give your mom a heads up there (laughs) for sure um well i asked that question because as i was reading this i oftentimes found so much of this to hit close to home for me specifically the parts Mm. about toby who is jack and elizabeth's child my seven-year-old son van is way into minecraft and mac and cheese oh yeah yeah i suppose millions of other kids are uh but it's the way that you described these particular things that hit home for me oh Uh, thanks Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, But to get into the details of this novel first, 
Um, you live in a big city, as Jack, our protagonist, does. And the metaphorical you I'm speaking of, uh, as Jack, our protagonist, does. Chicago, in this case, um, the building that Jack lives in is so close to the building next door uh, that he can't see the sky, um, but he can see directly into his neighbor's apartment. Uh, on a scale of one to ten, Nathan, how creepy is it to spend your spare time watching your neighbor, and why? That was a real tricky bit. Like, I, you know, I want to know that something that's really funny. Okay, so the first chapter where they're looking into each other's windows, I wrote that as a short story probably 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. I had just, like it was. I wrote that right after I moved to New York City, and I had this tiny apartment, the studio apartment in Queens, um, and my window looked out under this brick wall of other windows and other into other people's apartments and that view sort of inspired the short story where i imagined two young lonely people catching glimpses of each other uh in in the windows and slowly falling in love and 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 that was and, and i published that as a short story probably 20 years ago and and then i kind of forgot about it for a long time and then when i decided to resurrect that scene for the first scene in this novel um times had changed and and when i when i let people read it they're like this is creepy is this a stalker you know book is this i, I had to like i tested it with people and they're like this has become creepy in a way that it wasn't creepy when i wrote it 20 years ago so yeah. i had to like rewrite it to like really make you make it clear that it's that it, it these people do not have ill intent that uh, this is they're just lonely and um uh but yeah like getting that uh, walking that tightrope of them sort of spying on each other, but but in a way that feels kind of romantic was was uh, pretty pretty tough. There are like lots of lots of thrown away drafts before I finally nailed it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. And the thing that makes it not creepy is, as you say, that Elizabeth is also watching him, uh, Jack. Mm -hmm. During this time in their lives, Elizabeth makes an observation that she sees no evidence that Jack owns a necktie. Uh, is this a positive <laughs> or a negative? And is this something that you for think her, people would notice? <laughs> for her, it's a positive. Like she is running away from this very wealthy family and she's specifically run away, running away from a sort of tyrannical businessman father. And, mm -hmm. uh, and so her, her, she's been growing up with these, with these guys in neckties her whole life and she wants no part of it anymore. And so she sees Jack who seems to only own like one pair of jeans and no neckties and, uh, and doesn't seem to really care about his wardrobe at all. And it feels like a relief to her. It feels like this is what I've been, I've been searching for. So he's suddenly sort of more interesting to her um, than, than, yeah, if he had a, if he had a closet full of neckties, I think she'd roll her eyes and be like, oh, another one of those guys and close the curtains. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Nathan. Um, Jack is a photographer. Um, he is documenting in the beginning of this novel, the renovation of a building in Chicago, the building he lives in. Uh, the person who has hired him to do so wants to put the photos on the internet, which is a relatively new and somewhat somewhat unknown thing at this moment in time uh, about the internet. This person, Benjamin says, quote, uh, there are outcasts everywhere. My friend, the misunderstood, the unpopular, the nerdy, the queer, rejected, bullied freaks with the internet. We find each other end quote. Um, and Nathan, my question is, are there people who still feel this way about the internet? Do you think, or is the internet more, uh, of a shopping mall and eye of big brother now, or was it always a little bit of both? 
I think it's funny. I don't know. Uh, I mean, do you remember the first time you experienced the World Wide Web? Do you remember I that moment? Do. Um, America Online, when you had those like CDs. Yeah. Out. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I was. I'm. I think I'm about the same era. And like, <laughs> I I remember I mean, the first time I the first time I did that. It it was I was just like oh oh this is this is going to be something. And I was I was a I was an early and big adopter. You know, like I was really into you know hypertext fiction, and I I really thought that I don't know if anybody out there remembers that but i really thought like all the best sellers in the future are all going to be hypertexts you know is what we, we, we you know cyber text fiction on online you know and uh and man imagine my surprise to be so incredibly wrong about that right. um and and I, th I think at the time yeah there was this feeling like you know the 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 nerds the freaks the the outcasts you know like um this is a place where we can find each other. And I, I feel like it was that for a while. I feel like it was kind of pure, but, but the, the thing that's really bothered me in the last, like, I don't know, 10 years, five, five, 10 years is that I see exactly the same language mm -hmm. being used by people that I, I no longer like whose, whose, whose politics I just don't recognize anymore. Like, you know, I think, I think a lot of like the, the people together, you know, getting together on like 4chan to talk about QAnon are, are using that language like you know we're just society's outcasts and like and and reveling in it in the same way that i reveled in it when i was in my 20s and i'm looking at that and i'm like no that's not the same thing how can you use my slogan i don't you know i feel very different from you you know so i think of course i think you can still find pockets on the internet that feel exactly that's that same way but they're i, I feel radically different from the experience i had in the 90s when when the when i was brand new to the internet yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's funny that you should mention hypertext fiction. Um, when I was studying creative writing with um, with my friend Marcel Crickenberger, she was way into that. Uh, that was her, her whole thesis using the Arcades Project by Walter Benjamin and some other things. Mm. Um, mm -hmm. But um, so my thing, you know, for example, when I get an advanced reading copy of your book, Wellness, like I always ask for it in print because at work I'm staring at a screen all day long and I don't yeah. want to go home and continue to stare at a screen when I'm reading a book. Yeah. That being said, I kind of think that there still is a place in the world for for hypertext fiction to blow up at some point um do you think so or do you think that moment's kind of passed i i i wish there i wish that were true um i i i, I did i did a bunch of research on this a while back for just a, mm -hmm. a lecture i was giving for another thing but i was like i was trying to figure out like why is it that hypertext never really caught on and there's a lot of really good research that that I mean, if you, you know, if you analyze what's happening inside somebody's brain while they're reading and like a book in print and then a reading a book in hypertext, you know, just the fact of underlined links and things that make you have a choice will disrupt the kind of flow state that that makes reading so pleasurable. So there's something about having to make all those choices. There's something about all of those 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 underlined links that are sort of calling out to you that make it very difficult to do what literature is so good at, which is to kind of get you deep into a narrative. So there's some tension. I think the technology the two technologies don't play very well together. Yeah. And, and on the flip side there, you know, choose your own adventure books, which have made a comeback. Um, mm -hmm. And I was just speaking with a an author, Bennett Sims, about this yesterday, about a short story that he wrote. But if you're reading on an e-reader, um, say, while you're reading, these outlined sections pop up all the time, like 650 people have highlighted this and it becomes <sighs> yeah, right, right. 
Um, do you think that that's a different thing or that is your brain processing something like that in a different way than, oh, I'm going to click on this and make a choice to jump to a different section of the novel? Yeah, that's a, that's, that's a really good question. I think those highlighted things do pull me out of the story sometime because I'll, I'll get to them. I'll see it. I'll like flip the page on, you know, my e-reader and I'll see something underlined and I'm like, oh, something really good is coming, you know, and, and then I get to it. And sometimes I'm like, yes, I agree. I, now I see why everybody underlined it, but now I'm making a sort of meta comment about the thing rather than being involved in the thing so i don't know it depends on how easily it probably depends on how easily distracted you are like if you're if 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 you're able to like really kind of bear down and focus then that's going to be fine and you can make your comments in the e-reader and it's no big deal um you know you can turn the page and the choose your own adventure it's no big deal but i think uh, you know like achieving deep quiet focus is a challenge for most people and i, I you know and and uh not not for anything that is they're doing it's just the environment makes it very very difficult we just have busy lives and a lot of a lot of things competing for our attention so it's really difficult to like sit down in a quiet room and have nobody bother you for half an hour and read a book it's just our lives aren't usually set up for that so i think uh yeah i think i, I think when you also have the technology working against you it makes it triply hard like hypertext but i think it's it's definitely possible but uh you have to <laughs> you have to cultivate a reading habit and you have to have a place in your house to be able to do it i think for it to really sink in the way literature really can yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Nathan. Um, listeners, we're going to take a short break here for a word from our sponsor, and then I will be right back with Nathan Hill. The Book and Podcast would like to thank Libro.fm Audiobooks for their sponsorship. Libro.fm has the same audiobooks at the same prices as their major competitor. You know the name. But instead of supporting the Big River, you'll be supporting your favorite neighborhood bookstores. Please head on over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N, in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore, explore booksellers in the process. I'm back with Nathan Hill, author of Wellness, which is published by our friends at Alfred A. Knopf. Um, Nathan, a couple questions before we jump back into wellness. Um, one, uh, are you still playing video games or did that moment pass before the next game? <laughs> Sadly, that moment has passed. I, yeah. I, I, uh, I sort of, I guess, famously uh, played a lot of World of Warcraft uh, back in the day, like 2006 ish, uh, and uh, and used that experience to 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 create a character in the Nyx. Um, and I tried to jump back into that game after a, a long a long time away. They released a new a new edition, or a, they had a new release. Uh, what was it called? Dragonflight, I think it was. It was released sometime in the last year or two, and so I was like what the hell and i jumped back into it for um i don't know two months and uh i i found that i was i was i was very bad at it and uh <laughs> and and the thing that's happened in this game and i don't know if this has happened in other game but other games like this but like it's become that game has become a sort of like totalitarian state where like every every action you take is logged and then everybody else in your group can see just exactly how bad you messed up if you messed up and and uh and so there's this like weird peer pressure it's like you can't screw up ever uh because everybody's like action loggers and like 
like uh, uh, will will recognize it, and there'll be alerts all over the screen. So it was like I found it very shaming the <laughs> the, the video game, like playing it. It was like if you're not perfect at it, uh, uh, you'll get yelled at. So I was just like, I don't I don't need that in my in my gaming life. So I I quit, and uh, yeah, so I play. I tried like maybe a month of Dragonflight, and uh, and gave it up. And otherwise, I'm I'm not really playing games right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, how do you feel about video games as a narrative medium in general? I, I, I'm, uh, I love the potential for games to be to tell interesting stories, and uh, I was really, really happy that so much attention uh, was was uh, shown on The Last of Us because of the HBO adaptation of it. But I thought The Last of Us, I I played that game. Mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, when it was new, uh, and just was blown away by what it, what a great what a great narrative it is. Um, I think there are, there are there are some games that um, uh, that uh, that are pretty well known for 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 um, for interesting storytelling. I'm thinking of like the new Red Dead Redemption did a pretty cool job with that. Um, and I'm also sort of now interested in in games that that are more the storytelling is more emergent. Um, and by that I mean like it doesn't there's no story when you go in, but the play, but playing the game creates a story in the same way, like sports has a story, like at the beginning of a tennis match, that's not a story, but a story sort of emerges from the drama of the match, you know? So there's this video game called, uh, what's it called? One hour, one life mm-hmm. where you play like, uh, a human in like early human civilization, uh, and, and you have one hour and that's, the, that's your lifespan. And so like you get on, you start and you try to help like, your tribe or whatever. And, uh, and you, you plant a few seeds, you try to start, you try to leave the world better than, than you, than you found it for the next generation. And a sto- like so many stories can emerge out of that kind of play style. You, you go to like subreddits for one hour, one life, and uh, it's all full of like, Oh my God, I, I didn't think I was going to make it and i had all these these uh, supplies but then you know i was almost dead but i found somebody to give it to and they're now going to take it and build something with it and now i feel like my my life is complete and like that's a story you know but it's not a story that was scripted by the game it was a story that emerged from the playing of the game i'm kind of interested in that yeah absolutely um thank you so much for that answer and as a roundabout way of jumping back into your new novel wellness um we had talked before the break about hypertext fiction and now we talked about video games um and because we're sponsored as a podcast by libro fm audiobooks uh, how do you feel about audiobooks as a narrative art form and how does the the process of um of digesting an audiobook differ from reading a book on a page and how is the reader for this book wellness oh wellness is is read by uh, a incredibly talented actor named Ari Fliakos he's mm-hmm. he also read the audiobook for the Knicks and mm-hmm. uh he did such he did such an amazing job I, I as you can imagine after you know writing the Knicks and editing the Knicks and you know like by the time the audio got to me I was so tired of the Knicks I was like really sick of it and then I started listening to Ari's performance and he found he made me laugh at jokes I was sick of and had rewritten a thousand times he, he found the humor in them again and made me laugh at them he he brought a kind of magic to the story that had been lost to me because I'd read it so many times, you know, and that's, that's incredibly, that's an incredible talent. And, um, and I and, and ended up listening to my whole audiobook 
because he was so good at it. And, and then since then, I've been, I, you know, there's this thing I like to do where I'll, 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 I'll buy the hardcover and get the audiobook and read them both at the same time. So, you know, if I'm on a bike ride, I'll listen to the audio, like three chapters of the audiobook. And then that night, I'll open up the page to the, the place that I had stopped in the audiobook and like read a couple chapters before bed. And I'll kind of bounce back and forth. And I really, I really like that. I, I find that I can focus just fine on the audiobook. I, I, I feel like, I don't know if I listen to an audiobook I still I still say technically I read it because I yeah. feel like I did. Absolutely. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much Nathan. Um back into uh wellness now. Prior to the break we talked about um your protagonist's younger days when love and art were enough to carry them through. Um, now let's jump into the post-marriage world. Uh, there's a kid, Toby, that we mentioned earlier. There's the potential of a condo here in Chicago. Um can you talk, Nathan, about the difference between the reality of Jack and Elizabeth's lifestyle at this moment and the ideal that Elizabeth is imagining for their new condo? Um, and can you talk about this aspect of the human condition um, specifically as exhibited through the character of Elizabeth? Yeah, I, I, in some ways, I was thinking a lot with, with this part of their life. I was thinking a lot about like what would have happened if Romeo and Juliet didn't die at the end of the play? You know, what happens if they if they successfully move away and, you know, and then it's 20 years later and they have a family and maybe maybe Juliet isn't all that you know enthralled by the demands of motherhood or maybe maybe uh, maybe Romeo, um, I don't know, is uh, is lonely or working a, a dead end job, you know, and, and, and they'd be going through all the struggles we all go through and yet they'd have this story from their past and like we're freaking Romeo and Juliet in some ways, believing that story too much would be limiting for them. It wouldn't allow them to grow into whatever new story was necessary for them to grow in their relationship. And I, that's kind of what I was thinking about with Jack and Elizabeth. Uh, and, you know, 20 years after this like incredible meet cute, um, they're still reliving the meet cute and, and telling the story of how they met and, and fell in love at first sight. And, uh, and in some ways, because, there are these stories that they believe in so hard they're sort of missing what's been going on underneath and and that's part of the part of the work of the novel is like the, these stories are cracking now and they have to sort of excavate what's more real underneath that and um yeah so it's 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 uh it's about it's it, it's about the stories that we believe in it's about um i i just felt like the marriage story was a nice container for the this I don't know this 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 um this concern that I've had lately about just uh about I mean it's no secret that over the last several years uh, it's been hard to get everybody to agree on just basic reality just basic facts uh and uh and 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 so I thought well what a great you know like what a great story a marriage story is full of fantasy so what a great way to talk about fantasy and delusion and reality than within a marriage story so this marriage story is sort of a trojan horse for this this a larger story about about belief and about storytelling and about the stories we believe in yeah absolutely thank you so much um to elaborate on this question a little bit uh elizabeth imagines a home without television um even though the reality is that she falls asleep in front of one every day <laughs> right um, I know people who rail against smartphones and smartphone technology who are also the people most likely to get sucked into their phone. <laughs> most. Um, why do you think people rail against these technologies who are obviously addicted to and dependent upon them to a certain degree? 
<laughs> That's such a good question. Uh, yeah, I, I think, I mean, we, we all have, we have a version of, of ourselves in the future that I think we want to be. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think I actually use this, this, this little factoid in the book somewhere that, that when we think about ourselves in the future, we use the part of our brain uh, that we also use to, for example, like imagine the inner life of a celebrity. You know, and, and so it's different from when we imagine ourselves. So when we think about ourselves in the future, uh, we are literally kind of in a, in a part of our brain thinking about someone else. And so I think we can ascribe lots of stuff to like how we're going to be in the future. I'm going to go to the gym so much. I'm going to give up smartphones. I'm not going to watch dumb TV anymore. But then in the moment, it's very hard to be that person that you imagined yourself to be. And I, I think that's, I mean, that's going, that's going on with Jack and Elizabeth. And I think, I mean, to an extent, it doesn't it happen to all of us. I mean, we all have sort of aspirations and, and, and uh, that, uh, that we find in the moment that we don't quite meet like i have i have designs on going to the gym every day but then sometimes you know it's like eight o'clock and 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 I, all i want is like uh a beer and some netflix so <laughs> it's it's very hard to like be the person you want to be all the time yeah absolutely thank you so much um i now want to talk about toby uh jack and elizabeth's son toby is at a birthday party when we are introduced to him and the party um they're playing songs that must be kids bop or something. Similar. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. My question, Nathan, is what is it about kids bop that kids like? Um, and why <laughs> is there not more being said about the disconnect between the lyrical content of these songs? Let's use as an example. Um, I can't feel my face by the weekend. Um, when kids are seeing <laughs> lyrics that obviously they, they know nothing about the, the subtext. Right. Um, what's going on with kids bop, Nathan? <laughs> I I never I don't I don't call it kids bop by name but of course you're right that's what yeah. it is uh and uh I it was inspired by a, a friend of mine and uh and she'll be embarrassed that I'm talking about this publicly but she that's all she puts on the on the on, on the audio in the house is just kids bop and she does it she says just because she has enough to worry about than the you know the, to also worry about like the lyrics that her 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 kids are listening to it's just like if I put on kids bop it's just one less thing I have to worry about I think parents are so overwhelmed that that's really <laughs> that's really um tempting uh i decided to put kids bop in there because like i said earlier like the book is is really engaging with this problem of like what's real and what's fake what's a story that we should believe and what's a story that we shouldn't believe what's fantasy and what are the facts and so in every chapter i wanted to like add just a little problem with reality and 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 all often in a very kind of whimsical way, you know, but just a, as, as a way to like kind of splinter off that theme and kind of mess with it. So like there's a scene where, I don't know if you know the, the famous sculpture in Chicago that's known as the bean, but it's like a highly reflective sculpture that's, I don't know, two, three stories tall. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a scene where you, there are pigeons uh, sitting atop the bean, but because the bean is so reflective, it, it's hard to see where the sky ends and the bean begins. And so it seems like the pigeons are just floating. That's the kind of detail that I would add just because it's like, it's you can't tell what reality is there's this kind of gray area there's another scene uh where there's a building that has such reflective glass that the birds don't know whether it's sky or whether it's a building and they keep bonking into the into the glass and 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 again with kids bop it's like well there's a song playing but is that the real song or is that the fake song so it's just it's just one of one one of many times in the background i'm just lightly prodding at like this problem of like what's actually real what's fake what's real and how do we tell and and kids bop was just an entertaining way for me to do it
Yeah, it's such a strange thing. My son lo- loves kids, even though I've tried, really? <laughs> like, yeah, I've tried to do my diligence as a music fan and a parent to steer him away from it. But, you know, I'm but thinking, he wants it. What do you think is going to happen when like eventually he hears the real songs? No, he does. And he 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 hears them out in public, you know. Um, yeah. Sometimes he likes the real one better. And sometimes he just wants to hear kids like he is singing the song. Yeah. Oh, OK, um, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, you know, but there was a shocking moment a few months ago when when a kate bush song came on um and i was mm-hmm. like what is this what are they doing here <laughs> um <laughs> anyhow um, my next question is about minecraft um and this is something that toby's way into um and why do you think nathan that minecraft has endured one and two is walking up to kids asking if they want to see you explode a cow as toby does um is this really an awkward introduction because it is my experience as a parent through my son that this type of thing tends to work splendidly (laughs) (laughs) does it work splendidly if you're the new kid Uh, yeah i don't i yeah maybe it does maybe it does (laughs) i uh yeah i i I the Minecraft is in there because uh, so my friends all had kids mm-hmm. at exactly the same time. So I have uh, you know my my very closest circle of friends who lived with with uh, uh, in in Naples with me. Um, uh, you know, there's like m- maybe four other couples, and we would you know we were all about the same age. We would travel together, and we all met you know before we got married, and then you know anyway they all had kids at the same time. And so I sort of watched this all happen. You know, I was sort of a spectator from afar, but I was, you know, kind of watching them go through parenthood and, you know, it, it, Minecraft was universally one of those, like, I don't know, do I let him do Minecraft as much as he seems to want to do? And it was, it was, um, it was a, uh, um, just a, a universal problem of, uh, of, of whether, whether the parents should allow it because the kids could really get drawn in. And you, on the one hand, you don't want your kid completely obsessed with a video game. On the other hand, it's kind of charming video game. You know, it's like, it's, it's just, you're building stuff. It's like digital blocks. So what's the problem with that? So I heard this debate so much that it just seemed like an, a very accurate thing to put in, but then also like, like I was talking about earlier for anything to qualify to go into the novel, I, I think it's also got to have some kind of uh, like secondary entendre happening. And again, like it's an example of, uh, of of this blurring of reality so toby almost lives more in minecraft than he does in the real world and he's he's he definitely cares more about what's happening in minecraft than he often does what's happening in the real world and and uh and and then and then you know moving blocks around and building the world is kind of an echo of what elizabeth's father does with corporations in the real world that he's like breaking things up moving them around and so I think I wanted her to just feel a little icky about it, you know? And so I wanted, I, I just thought it was a kind of a elegant synthesis of, you know, it's, it's, it seemed accurate that kids are obsessed with Minecraft, but also seemed to work thematically and, and in terms of, of character with Elizabeth's character that she would sort of be icked out by it because of its almost symbolic resonance for what her, her father did. And of course she tried to escape her father's influence. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you, Nathan. Um, Two more questions. Uh, The first, very generally, um, what does the study of placebos and the placebo effect have to do with the title of this novel, Wellness? (laughs) Yeah. So I was having, I'm just going to tell the story of how this came to be, and that'll answer your question, I think. I I was having a a kind of a fight with a good friend of mine Mm -hmm. because he was spending a lot of time 
on like a, a lot of time and a lot of money. He was spending a lot of uh, with um, with with kind of wellness products that I found to be a little questionable, mm-hmm. and. And I was telling him this and I was just like, why are you spending all this money on this stuff? It's not even real. And he said, who does, what, what does it matter if it's real, if it makes me feel better? Mm-hmm. And honestly, that question sort of haunted me a little bit. Like on the one hand, I, I felt very strongly that, you know, if something doesn't, isn't, isn't proven to be effective with like quality double blind studies, then you shouldn't be doing it and, and you, nor should we be spending a lot of money on it. But then again, if it makes him feel better, like who am I to judge? Right. Um, and, uh, and then I also was just wondering like, why did they make him feel better? Like, it's not a big secret that uh, a lot of wellness stuff, like when you, um, when you submit it to rigorous scrutiny fails to live up to just the placebo effect. Mm. Uh, but when I started really looking into it, I was like, wow, well, it looks like the placebo effect can sometimes in very specific situations be really effective, you know? And Mm. so it got me thinking like, sometimes the story is the medicine, not the pill. Like sometimes the story is more important than the medicine. And, uh, and, and, and I got to thinking, well, shouldn't there be someone who makes up the story? And that's when I had the idea to give Elizabeth that job. So she is a placebo researcher. Um, but of course you can't have that, you know, you can't say Institute of placebo studies on the wall of your Institute, because as soon as people know it's placebo, it won't work. So Mm -hmm. she's calling it wellness because it's just generic enough that can mean a lot of different things. Um, and she's testing the placebo effect on people, um, uh, and, and calling it just a wellness product. And, And so that's kind of where that all, that all came from. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. I had that same conversation with my friend, uh, Casey Lightman in San Francisco. Uh, we used to work together at Borders where he said, I'm taking this and everybody says it's a placebo, but it makes me feel good. So I don't really care. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I have a lot, I honestly have a lot of sympathy for that. Like I, uh, like uh, there are a lot of like, uh, you know, uh, wellness products that even if they don't achieve anything better than placebo, I understand why people would want to do them. Like the last time I went to like a real doctor, mm-hmm. um, it was just like a, a, a follow-up checkup thing. And like, I, you know, I, I sat in the waiting room for three hours past, or I mean, an hour past my, um, my, my appointment time, filling out paperwork that I'd already filled out online. And then I got to see the doctor for like 10 minutes and she couldn't remember what she told me the last time and told me all the same stuff. Uh, and then I left and was charged $200 that my health insurance refused to pay, you know? And so like, that's just a sort of normal experience with like the healthcare apparatus and and then compare that to like the wellness spa or compel, compare that to like the, the influencer, the wellness influencer on Instagram who really seems to want to hear you and listen to you and care for you. Like we have a system that prevents our caregivers from really giving real quality care to people. And so, of course, there's going to be people coming in to take that job. And sometimes they're grifters, but also sometimes you just need to feel listened to. And so I, I have a lot of compassion for folks who who, um, I don't know, I don't, I guess what I'm saying is I'm not satirizing it and I'm not making fun of it. I'm just like, I, I feel like I'm, I'm more interested in engaging with it and why it's important and, and getting at the kind of underlying emotional need that's being gratified. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Nathan. Um, and finally, um, and I think that maybe this goes back to what you were talking about earlier uh, and have been um, hitting upon about people's different perceptions of reality and how we can't even agree on that. But when you start diving into research or you're trying to make an argument supported on research, you can really just about find research to support any argument that you want to make. Um, And this question pertains to Elizabeth, specifically the first chapter that deals with parenting and parenting techniques. 
Um, and this chapter is full of citations. And I want to know um, if you can tell our listeners what's going on here uh, in Elizabeth's mind and why all of these citations are sprinkled throughout the chapter. Yeah, Elizabeth wants to, she wants to make sure that her parenting is supported by the the most scientifically accurate you know, information. And so she's read all the journals and all the, all the developmental psych quarterlies and, 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 uh, and, and so she's, she's trying to get Toby out of a fussy picky eating phase and Mm. she's, she's having a lot of trouble with it. And so she's turning to all the, 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 the journal, the medical journals for help. And every time she does something, um, it, I, I cite the study where that, that supports that line of action and all of those studies, I I don't know, there's 60, some of them, I think in that chapter, and they're all real. They are all actual real studies. And I I wanted to put that in there because, well, first of all, parenthood is really, really hard, especially, you know, and, and, and I, I I saw all my friends like uh, uh, struggling to like figure out what the, the best approach would be in like, you know, like, like everybody else Googling it um, and, and finding all this stuff. But I, and I think that we talk a lot about people who can, who are misled by, by misinformation, by, by, by facts that are false. But I think it's also possible to be misled by facts that are true, you know, like, so, so Jack is being misled. He's Jack is a victim of misinformation. He's listening to like online fitness bros, tell him how to work out. And, uh, and, and they don't know what they're talking about. His father later in the book, you find that his father is a victim of, of disinformation. He's listening to the political opinions of people who actively want to like, harm him uh but then elizabeth is a victim of what you might call information overwhelm like she has access to so many true facts that the actual truth gets lost among it it's a kind of forest for the trees problem that we all have to deal with because we have access to a fire hose of information um and it's really difficult to see that information in context you know like i i'm I'm so frustrated whenever there's a, a headline about some new wellness study where it's like I don't know, you know, uh, the most recent freak out was about gas stoves, I guess, you know, it's like, there's a, a study or two about gas stoves that show something. And now everybody's freaking out about gas stoves. And I don't know what the next thing's going to be. Like, there's going to be some compound in Brazil nuts that are, that's good. And everybody's going to suddenly start eating seven Brazil nuts. And like, that's not really how these studies should be working. Like each study like contributes incrementally and minorly to a large ocean of knowledge, you know, and, and, and to pick one study out and put that, put a headline on it and say, this is how everybody should live is a real, is really bad science communication. Uh, and, uh, and, and so that's kind of what I'm reacting to in that, in that chapter is, yeah, you can take any study to support anything. This is why we need experts who can distill it for us and who can, uh, uh, who can supply context and, and wisdom in order so that we can see, we, we're not missing the forest for the trees. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Nathan. And thank you for writing this magnificent novel, which again, is a front runner for the book of the year. I think that uh, this book is going to make a lot of people um, think and a lot of people very happy that they're getting an experience uh, that you don't get um, too often with fantastic authors. So thank you very much for writing this novel, Nathan. Uh, Listeners. That's so nice of you. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. Listeners. I've been speaking with Nathan Hill, author of Wellness, which is published by our friends at Alfred A. Knopf. Nathan, thank you so much for joining me. It was a pleasure. Thanks for the really thoughtful questions. I really loved our conversation. Thank you. 
Once again, I would like to thank Nathan Hill for joining me. Copies of Wellness can be ordered from www.explorebooksellers.com with free shipping for members of Explore More Plus. I would also like to thank our sponsors at Libro FM Audiobooks. Please navigate over to Libro.fm and enter the promo code BOOKIN, that's B-O-O-K-I-N in the promo code space to get one free audiobook and support your favorite local independent bookstore in the process. My name is Jason Jeffries, and this has been Bookin'.